0: Well, I hope you brought your textbook with you today. We are in the Bible, Acts chapter 11. We're going to look at God's Word today as we continue to talk about being a first-class church. I mean, God wants us to be the church He's called us to be. And that is the challenge He has given us. He's, he's given us a vision. And it's not a vision that just simply grows out of a pastor's heart or a, a deacon council's heart or a Sunday school teacher's heart. The vision that we have of the church should always be derived from God's revelation— from the scripture. And as we look in Acts chapter 11, as we've talked about this church at Antioch, we begin to see a church that is, that is on fire for God, that is, that is seeing God do all kinds of great things in their midst. We see an example of a first-class church. Now, we began this last week. Some of you were here, right? You remember that sermon? Awesome message, right? Amen? Everybody? Yes. You remember it. You wrote it down. You remember that the church at Antioch was a church that was tradition-free in the sense it did not allow tradition to keep them from doing what God had called them to do. In that case, they were reaching out to the Gentiles, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. They were taking the gospel to the Greeks, to the Hellenists. We also saw in the Scripture that, that they were grace-filled That when Barnabas came in to see what was going on in that church, he experienced the grace of God in that place. That they that they, as a church, knew that they had benefited from the grace of God. They had received the favor of God outside of their own merit. And you also saw, if you remember as we look through this passage, that this church, this church was not just a tradition free and grace-filled, but it was a scripture. Focus church they came together to learn they came together to 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 hear what god would have to say and barnabas had gone to get this guy named saul who would eventually become paul and he brought him in and for a whole year the church gathered together to hear what god would say to them through the scriptures now we continue that to see that there are other characteristics of a first class church that there are other characteristics as we see it in acts chapter 11 i want to back up though And begin in verse 19. So you again get the picture of what God is doing. Look in verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was for a whole year, as we mentioned, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. Now notice this. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. It was at Antioch that they were first called Christians. This reminds me of the next characteristic of a first-class church. If you're going to be a first-class church, you've got to be known... For who you are in Christ. You've got to be a witnessing church. Christians. Now you can obviously see the root of that word. The root of the word is Christ. You are associated with Christ. That I-A-N-S that we see in the English. It is an ending. It is a translation. It's a transliteration really of that New Testament word. Which spoke about belonging or identifying with someone. We use that Today, right? Let's say uh, you're from Texas. Anybody from Texas here? You are what? Texans. Some of you, about four of you from Louisiana, right? You would say, what, what would you say? Louisianians, something like that. And those of us who were born a little closer to heaven, Well, we won't even talk about that. <laughs> but the I E N S means that you are associated with that area, right? If you're from Texas, you're a Texas. You're from Texas. You identify, or Louisiana. You're identifying with that place. Well, that's the very a very similar way in which they use these endings in the New Testament time. And the people of Antioch, the people who were living around Antioch, they took that ending, they meshed it with that root word Christ. And they called these people Christians. And again, because they believed that these people belonged to or identified with Christ. And how did they know that? It was because these individuals, these believers, were giving witness of Christ in their lives. Now look, believers, the early believers, did not refer to themselves as Christians. The word Christian occurs three times in the Scripture. Twice in the book of Acts, once over in First Peter. Almost always, it was used as a nickname. The people of Antioch, they were known for giving nicknames to people. Whether it was a Caesar that came through or some other leader, they would often give nicknames to people. So they gave the Christians this nickname, these believers, the nickname Christian. And it was actually meant to be derogatory. It was to demean them in some way. But think about it. What greater name could even be associated with us? With believers. But the name of Christ. They were called Christians. And people could tell who they were. They were giving a witness of Christ. They were giving it in their lifestyles, obviously. And they were giving it even in what they said. They were giving a witness of Christ. It is evident because it says in this passage that people were being added to the church or added to the Lord. That they were witnessing of Christ in their lifestyles. As so many other New Testament cities, the, the city of Antioch was a city that was known for its loose living. It was known for its um, moral laxity. And yet somehow the the believers as they were transformed by Christ as they were sitting there learning of the scriptures they were living a lifestyle that was play, pleasing to Christ and different from the culture that was around them now that's always part of the learning process now again I'm not a real educator my wife is taught and before and she's taught me a little bit about education many of you you're you teach maybe at the schools here or at tech or somewhere else and and you know much more than I would ever know about education but one thing that I have learned is that is that you have these stages of learning you have maturity levels let's say that we want to teach you just facts. Well, that's a very elementary type of learning. You've got to start there, right? But you just know facts. But as you grow in your learning, in your, you actually begin to learn how to take those facts and integrate them into your life, right? Right? So look, this is the same for us as a church. It's great for us to know the Bible stories. It's great for us to know the facts. It's great for us to know the doctrine. But God wants us to take what we know apply it to our lives, and go out and live a godly lifestyle that would in turn bring a witness to others. And here you have the Christians, people that are associated with Christ in their lifestyle. A lot of us can talk the talk, but don't forget, God has called us to walk the walk. People would see Christ in our lives When I was coming up, I always remembered the challenge of the preacher about that for some people, this would be the only Christ they might ever see would be my lifestyle, my witness. And I wanted to bear witness in my lifestyle, in my actions, in my attitudes of Christ Jesus. They were identified with Christ. They were witnessing of Christ. But it wasn't just lifestyle. I mean, they could pick them out, I believe, Uh, as, as they looked at their lifestyle, they could pick them out. They were different from the people of Antioch. They were just different, but also in the way they spoke in what they shared, the verbal witness of Christ. They were sharing Christ with other people. You know, God still wants us to be people who verbally witness of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would verbally witness about Christ, tell people about Christ. We should still do that. We tell the story. I had a Sunday school teacher one time. Uh, I've got a. By the way, I've got a lot of illustrations now that I left Zachary. I used to not could use these in Zachary because they'd figure them out. You know who it was, but have a new wealth of illustrations. But I had a Sunday school teacher come to me one time, and um, she said, "Brother Reggie, I just don't think it's necessary that we tell people about Christ. We just live." lives, lifestyles that are pleasing him, and then that's our witness. Well, I do believe, as I just said, you need to walk the walk if you're going to talk the talk. Lifestyle is important, but it is no substitute for the verbal testimony of Christ. It's no substitute. Well, people just know. Let me ask, what will they know? They know that you're living a good life. They know you have morals. They know that You're able to get through some of the difficulties of life, but that's what they know if you've never told them about the reason for that peace in your life. There still has to be the verbal testimony of Christ that we tell people why are we trying to live the way we are? It's because of Christ. Why do we have the peace that we do through certain difficulties? It's because of Christ. Christ should always be at the center of our testimonies. People should know that we are Christians. By faith, by our lifestyle, they should know. Even by what we say, we should bear witness of Christ. We should tell people about Christ Jesus. We should be people like Paul and Barnabas and the apostles who share of our faith in jesus christ some of you say brother reggie there's just no way i mean i'm not a paul i'm not a i'm not a barnabas and i just ask the question why why are you not well i'm just not in that why is the same holy spirit that gave them the power to perform their mission and their work is he not the same one that's in your life right now That Holy Spirit that gave them the boldness to stand and to preach and to teach and to share Christ and see people added to the church is not the the Holy Spirit that is alive and well in our church and in our life that we could share? Absolutely. They were a witnessing church and people came. They were added to the Lord. They were recognized. The believers were recognized as Christians. Sometimes... It may be tough for us to witness, especially when we haven't witnessed in a while. It's as though we haven't exercised in a while. Uh, Dr. Chuck Kelly at New Orleans Seminary, he used to call it the witnessing muscle that we had, and when we didn't use the muscle, uh, it, it would begin to um, it, it would begin to show in our lives, and it would be tougher to to use later on. Now. <clears throat> I know most of you can tell that I'm in good physical shape right <laughs> exercise look I'm a little concerned Leslie showed me the exor- exercise equipment just uh, it's not even far from this sanctuary you know it's just like right over there and she showed me that and she said you know this would be a good thing for you and for me to do and anyway we're we're praying about it and talking about it right now <laughs> But look, if you haven't exercised in a while, and you begin to exercise, you begin to you, you begin to feel it, don't you? When you when you've done something. Um, yesterday I came in and I tried to get all the books on my shelves, and I thought it would be one of the best times. And uh, Leslie and the kids were gone. They came in last night, and I said, "Oh my goodness! I mean, my back! I, I mean, I can feel it." I got no sympathy whatsoever. But anyway, I I could just feel it because I hadn't used that. And one of the reasons it's so difficult for us to witness, maybe because we just haven't done it lately. The more you witness of Christ, the more you tell people about Christ, listen to me, the more natural it becomes. And if we ever do a study of Acts, I'm sure we will at some point, you will notice that the believers in the book of Acts... They shared because the Holy Spirit had worked in their lives and they were transformed and changed. And they just shared what God had done in their lives. I'm I'm all for training, evangelism training, discipleship training, all for that. But I would say to you that when we come to a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and we've been saved and we know we've been saved, it should not be hard for us to witness of Jesus Christ. You shouldn't just have to have the seminars. You shouldn't just have to have the pep talks. I've been saved by the grace of God. And I want people to know that. And that should be our heart. That should be our desire. They were first called Christians. They were identified with Christ. They belonged to Christ. And they gave evidence of that in their lives, in their lifestyle, and in their speech. They were different. There are days, there are days when I grow discouraged with the culture that is around us. There are days that i become a little bit downtrodden because of the culture that we see around us. But I am thankful that God has given us a great mission to this culture that he has given us an opportunity to be different from what the world offers and to give this culture the truth of Christ. Listen, this can be one of the most exciting. This can be one of the greatest opportunities. That, uh, these can be one of the most pleasurable times of ministry in our lives because God has set us in the midst of a culture That is growing hostile toward the gospel. But yet he has given us the power and the truth and the strength to make a difference. We should be a witnessing church. The church at Antioch was a witnessing church. But it wasn't just a witnessing church, it was a giving church. I want you to see this, if you will. Verse 27 of chapter 11, it says, And in these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. And then one of them, named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. And then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So these prophets came up. These were people that, yes, some of them had a vision of what was going on. Many of them were foretellers, but Agabus came up, And he said, I want you to know that there is going to come a famine in Judea. Now, famines seem to be a regular occurrence in the Middle East. There were days when the crops would fail because of too little rain or even perhaps too much rain. And Agabus said, we need to get prepared. The church in Jerusalem, the church in Judea is about to experience great difficulty." And how did the church at Antioch respond? They responded by giving. They responded in generosity. They responded by helping their brother and their sister in Christ. They gave. They were a giving church. And indeed, there was a famine that hit Judea and Jerusalem. Indeed, they went through great difficulty. But they had brothers and sisters in Antioch who loved them and who gave. I am so thankful that God has put me a part of a giving church. I can tell already this is a giving church in so many different ways. I mean, John reminded us this morning that that we have been able to give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which I think is something we should make priority every year. Oh, and may I say this? When we are celebrating that, we ought to also be grateful and give thanks to God that he gave us enough resources to give that. Because you understand that everything that we have came from him anyway. And all we're doing is just giving toward his mission and his work. So we're thankful that he's already just blessed us so that we could bless others. We're thankful for that. I've seen this church be a giving. In these last few weeks, in so many different ways, the love and the expressions that you've shown to us, we're thankful for. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest things I got was under the Christmas tree in our um, uh, house here in Ruston. When we moved up or when we came up to stay, I walked in. Underneath the Christmas tree, there was a football helmet. It was blue, it was red, and yes, it had those coveted words, Ole Miss on it. (laughs) What a giving, giving church you are. Thankful for that. Again, though, one of the reasons I think I might have moved to Ruston is because blue and red we have in common, I believe, right? Not purple and gold, blue and red, all right? You're a giving church. You already, but God has called us to be a giving people and a giving church. The church at Antioch said, you know what? Our brothers and sisters down in Judea and Jerusalem, they need us. They need us to step up. And notice what it says. Each one gave according to his ability. Each one gave according to his ability. Look, when God looks at our lives, he doesn't call us to give things we don't have. He calls us to give what we have, what he has blessed us with. He he is looking at each and every one of us that we would be faithful in our giving, that we would be a giving church, but not just to the ministries of the church, but that we would be giving as a church to others to help our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that hopefully the years to come, I look forward to, to really being there with you and challenging you and working with you as we try to meet the needs of people. We take the gospel to the nations and we see God just do a work around the world. I, I hope and pray that we would see that. So I'm all for going to the nations. Hear that up front. But as I study this passage and as I study the book of Acts in particular, we have, an, I think, a special responsibility to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Hey, look, I'm all for the nation. I'm, I'm talking about, you'll hear me in, in this next year, talk about Lottie Moon and we'll talk about missions and we'll talk about going and we want to make sure we get the. But I believe our first priority as a church is that we take care of our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you look at the book of Acts, they took care of their brothers and sisters in Christ in particular, and they went forth then with a mission of Christ so they were going to help their brothers and sisters and I think this did something later on it will there will be another offering Paul will go and take among the Gentile churches and again for Jerusalem I think it does something for the church overall here because the church at Antioch is basically a Gentile church it's a Gentile church church in Jerusalem is basically a Jewish church from, in backgrounds, speaking about the background of each one. So think about the unity that you see here. The Gentile church, basically from a Gentile background, says we're going to help our brothers and sisters, even though they come from a Jewish background, we're going to help them through this. What do you think that did for the relationship of the churches? The unity that it brought, the love that it was was demonstrated. Winston Churchill said, "We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give." And as a church, we make a life. We make a difference in the kingdom by what we give. The church at Antioch was a witnessing church. It was a giving church. And as you move to chapter 13, you see that this is a church that is a praying church, a praying, fasting church. See, Acts 12, you have this interlude of Herod, and his violence to the church, his death. And then Acts 13 resumes... The narrative of the church at Antioch, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, of course, we've already met, Simeon, who was called Niger; Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, perhaps had been in the court, uh, the royal courts themselves, and Saul, who we have met. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. They prayed, they fasted. We see that characteristic of this church at Antioch. They were a witnessing church, they were a giving church, and they were a praying church. They were praying and fasting. They were spiritually disciplined. In other words, they were about what God wanted them to be about. They were disciplined in their lives to be about prayer and fasting. Now, I want to say to you, this has been one of the weaker areas in my life and the weaker areas in some of the ministries that I've been a part of. And I want to say that I pray... That God would give us and give me in particular an even greater emphasis in my life upon prayer and fasting because we can't do anything without it we can't afford not to pray what does prayer do what does fasting do prayer of course is calling out to God communicating with God fasting is abstaining from uh, food for spiritual purposes for to focus us for a little while what does it do what what do they both do? They, they remind us of our dependency upon God. When we pray, it is an act of our dependency. We fast, we are focusing upon who he is and that he is the focus of our lives, the center of our lives. Praying and fasting. Dependence. Look, because... What I want to see, and I think what the church at Antioch wanted to see, and what they did see. They wanted to see God do something. And they wanted the world to see God do something. You know, it's one thing for the world to see us do something. It's one thing for the world to say, oh, look at the church, they did that. It's one thing to do, but to be able to say, God did that. It wasn't a person that was primarily responsible. God might have used people. God might have used situations, but it wasn't a person. It wasn't a program. It wasn't anything that we could have manufactured. It was a God thing. And look, next week we'll come back and we'll focus more on Acts chapter 13. And we'll see how God spoke to the church. And how he called out Barnabas and Saul. Saul. To the work. Something that they could have never envisioned or done on their own, but God worked in their midst. But they were praying and they were fasting. They had set the the environment, they had set the atmosphere for God to do something in their lives. We pray that God would do something. Because as I was reading this week, as I was challenged... But Pastor Ronnie Floyd, in his words, as he spoke of prayer and fasting, he said that he was reminded that God could do more in a moment than he could do in his lifetime. I thought about that. God can do more in a moment than I can do in my lifetime. God can do more in a moment than you can ever think about doing in your lifetime. That's the reason we're dependent upon him. To see his work and to see his movement. And how do we express our dependency? By praying and fasting and seeking him. And seeing him do a work in our lives. They were a praying and fasting church. There have been times that... um, I've asked two people each week to to just go in and pray for me while I preached while I preached, just because I believe that as God heard the prayers of his people, even while his pastor his preacher was preaching, that God would honor those prayers. There have been other times in our lives that we've seen prayer and fasting. Breakthrough strongholds in churches' lives and people's lives. God has called us to be a praying and fasting church. And listen, it doesn't really matter your physical health or so many other things. You know, so many of us can still pray. I remember walking in to see Larry Jones one day. Larry had been a long-time deacon at a church and that I served, and I'd gotten to know Larry and his wife. Larry was a quiet, short, uh, quiet kind of person. His wife did most of the talking. Some of you know about these kind of couples, right? Some of you are those kind of couples, right? Larry had developed a disease that began to affect him, his balance, his nervous system. And he was not able to, to come to the church physically anymore to worship with us. I remember going down and visiting Larry one time and um, talking to him, and he was, he was troubled. He didn't know what in the world he could do you know he was a deacon and he had been so much involved in the church's life and he had helped the pastor before and he couldn't it was troubling him that his health had stopped him from doing what he had done before and he looked at me and he said but i want you to know that i pray for you pastor I pray for you every day. When I'm here in this bed, there's not much else I can do, but I pray. And I said to him, you know what? Maybe that's what God is doing right now. In your, and that's the purpose he has for you. Because let me tell you, that accomplishes God's work. It accomplishes his will when people pray. It's not just something that we do incidentally. It should be something we do with intentionally in our lives. Pray. And I always thought as I got up to preach or maybe that week when I was having a difficult time, I thought to myself, you know, I bet Larry's praying. I bet he's praying even this morning. And it brought me tremendous strength. We must be a people of prayer and fasting. We must be a people disciplined to do what God has called us to do. So look, what a challenge, huh? Hey, I don't know about you, but every time I start uh, pushing the curtains back a little farther so I can see this big picture of a church and characteristics in life, I'm challenged. I'm humbled. And I'm challenged. And I pray that God would just really speak to you in that same way he convicts convict you, he would challenge you this morning in your areas. And for some of us, we have strong areas. And for some of us, we have other areas that aren't as strong. I've tried to admit some of those to you this morning. But what God wants us to do is just follow him, be obedient, become better in these areas. Are you willing to do that today? Are you committed to do that? Maybe this day you need to come and maybe just find this altar and and just pray. Maybe just seek him. Maybe today, you, before you leave this place, you need to write down one name of somebody you need to witness to. And that'll be your challenge this year, is that you will witness to that person this coming year. Maybe it's just God challenge you you in your heart to continue to give and to give more, not just to church, not just to the pro, but to give of your life to other individuals. Listen to God's word to you and be obedient.